and welcome back to My Black Mental Health with your host, Ty Dyer. I'm a second year counselor and training at Florida International University. My Black Mental Health was created to be a resource and a tool to help the Black community learn and educate themselves on mental health concepts, psychology terms, and to spread awareness. If you're new, follow me on IG at My Black Mental Health PC and on Twitter at MBMHPC. Like the Facebook page for updates, tips, and extra resources. You can check out the podcast on Apple or Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, and Pocket Cast. I offer new episodes every other Saturday and bonus episodes on Thursday once a month. Join me today for our mental mini. Hello and welcome back to My Black Mental Health with your host, Ty Dyer. The month is May, and we're celebrating Mental Health Awareness Month all month long. I joined in with uh, Mental Health of America to post and spread awareness. They have an amazing toolkit of resources, and I plan to follow their theme of Tools to Thrive. Our talk today will include a part on owning your feelings and staying positive after loss. Because our reality is that COVID-19 is still very much a thing, and it's our job as counselors to provide you all with the relevant tools for success. Today on this mental mini, we are continuing the segment, What's the Diagnosis? With today's focus on depression. Stay tuned to learn different types of depression categorized by the DSM-5, what stressors can cause depression in general, and fellas, listen closely because this one's for you. It's time that we talk about our mental health. Because society says that you need to man up and hold those feelings in, but I'm a part of society and as a helping professional, I know that that manning up isn't a real thing. We all have emotions and we all feel. So fellas, listen up. I'm talking money, finances, relationships, and all the major pitfalls that lead to major depression disorder. Before we jump right in, talking about major depressive disorders, I think it's important to first understand that major depressive disorder falls under the umbrella term of mood disorders. Mood disorders refers to a mental health class that, you know, mental health professionals use to broadly describe all types of depression and bipolar disorder. Some of the mood disorders goes as follows. With one of the most common mood disorder being major depression, dysthymia, which is a chronic low-grade depressed or irritable mood that lasts up to two years, bipolar disorder, mood disorders related to other medical conditions, which can be a medical illness including cancer or any injuries that you've had, infections, or chronic illnesses, they can trigger some symptoms that are similar to depression or that can lead to depression. Um, and substance-induced mood disorder, which is symptoms of depression that is due to the effects of medicine, drug abuse, alcoholism, exposure to toxins, or other forms of medical treatment. Well, seeing how my podcast episodes are usually about 20 to 25 minutes long, we're definitely not going to get into all of the mood disorders today. We're just going to focus on depressive moods. According to the DSM-5, the following disorders fall under depressive disorder. Disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, major depressive disorder, which includes major depressive episode, persistent depressive disorder, which is known as dysthymia, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, substance medication induced depressive disorder, 
depressive disorder due to another medical condition and other depressive disorders and non-specific depressive disorder. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> I know as a helping professional that there's many ways that you can diagnose someone depending on the DSM-5 because there's a criteria that it falls under, that they must fall under to be diagnosed with. So there are a lot of um, convoluted um, disorders that you can be diagnosed with, which is just multiple disorders on tacked on top of one another. Um, and, you know, like I said, we definitely don't have time to go over all of those. But I do want to focus on major depressive disorder for this episode. And in upcoming episodes, we can talk about alcohol-induced depressive disorder and disruptive mood depression depressive disorder because I feel like those three are the most common. I don't feel, according to research, they are the most common. With that being said, major depressive disorder. One who suffers from depression that is experiencing persistent feelings of sadness, hopelessness, loss of interest in activities that they once enjoyed tend to fit into this category. Now, aside from the emotional problems caused by depression, individuals can sometimes present with physical symptoms such as chronic pain and dis- um, digestion um, issues. But how does one tell the difference between depression and just regular sadness? Because, you know, sadness is inherent to the human experience. But one cannot be diagnosed with sadness. I mean, like, you could go to your helping professional and you can describe these symptoms of sadness, but they'll just tell you that that is what it is. It's not necessarily something that you go and get meds or seek treatment for. For major depressive disorder or even episode, there is a criteria that is met for the severity of the symptoms. The difference doesn't lie in the extent to which someone feels down, but rather in the combination of factors. So what is the duration of the negative feelings? Are you having other symptoms like bodily impact? Are you having aches, pains? Are all of these factors making it nearly impossible for you to function in your daily life? You see, sadness is a normal emotion that everyone will experience at some point of your life. It could be a job loss, the end of a relationship, or even the death of a loved one. But sadness is usually caused by a specific situation, person, or an event. When it comes to depression, however, there is no necessarily trigger needed. A person suffering from depression can feel sad or hopeless about everything and anything. This person may have every reason in the world to be happy, yet for some reason they have the inability to experience that joy or pleasure. According to the DSM-5, one must have five or more of the following symptoms to be diagnosed um, with major depression disorder. And these have to occur within the same two-week period and they represent you know, some form of change that affects your daily life functioning. With one of the symptoms being either depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. You feel depressed nearly every day and it's observable by others. It's important to note that depressive mood disorder is different in children. 
So with children, it's called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. And the main characterization for this disorder is irritability and tantrums, basically. Obviously, there's a little bit more to the criteria, but my main focus is on adults and adolescents. So let's leave it there. Some more of the criteria of depressive mood disorder is, you know, loss of interest in daily activities, significant weight loss, insomnia or hyperinsomnia, which, you know, is the reverse. You have um, psychological mood motor dysfunction, which this can be observed by others. And it's not merely just, you know, feelings of restlessness or the inability to slow down. There tends to be um, energy loss or fatigue nearly every day. There's feelings of worthlessness and excessive um, either feelings of guilt or feelings of being sick nearly every single day. And you have this inability to concentrate and you're indecisive. You have possible reoccurring thoughts about deaths, not just the fear of dying, but reoccurring suicidal ideations with either a specific plan or a suicide attempt um, has been, you know, already attempted. And as I said before, these symptoms must cause distress or impairment in your social, occupational, or other areas of your daily life functioning. It's important to note that with this um, diagnosis specifically, that the episodes of depression don't come from um, substance abuse or another medical condition. Because once those symptoms are from other sources or can be related to other diagnoses, then it becomes a conformity um, diagnosis, which is just basically major depressive disorder that occurs with either substance-related disorders, panic disorders, obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, maybe some body dysmorphic disorders, or bipolar borderline personality disorder. Some of the general risk factors for major depressive disorder are temperament, environment, and genetics. So with our temperament, if you are a personality type that is more narcissistic, that has a negative um, outlook on life, or, or has an insecure or avoiding attachment style, may be um, more at risk for onset of major depressive disorder. Our environment plays a really big factor in either a potential risk factor or protective factor. Those of us who have experienced stressful and adverse childhood life events are at a higher risk of major depressive disorder. Our genetics and our physiological makeup really is one of those risk factors that we don't really know too much about. Research has shown that relatives' risk is apparently higher for early onset or reoccurring forms of depression when you are a first-degree family member of the individual with major depressive disorder. That risk is about two to four times higher than the general public. Okay, so now that we have a general guide of major depressive disorder, fellas, it's your time to shine. We know you get sad too, and this is a safe place for recognizing that and, and using the tools to educate yourself to do right by your mental health.
it is not a weakness and there is no shame because like I said, sadness is a human emotion. We all feel it, so let's talk about it. If you go back to episode one, Breaking the Stigma, you will know that the black community has not taken mental health as seriously as they should. And this is for many reasons, some of which being, you know, the lack of knowledge, socioeconomic status, trust, and the lack of representation. Because, I mean, there's only about 3.7 members of um, the American Psychiatric Association um, that are of color. And of those, only 1.5% of them um, classify themselves as black. But of course, there is always ways around that. So I'll link that episode below if you want to know how to combat the, the stigma we have around mental health. So men, let's take a, a look at how depression and sadness takes a toll on you. According to research, suicide is ranked as the third leading cause of death in black men aged 15 to 24, with about 1.2% higher than their white counterparts. This is about two times higher for youths aged 5 to 12 in comparison to white youths. I think it's crazy that nearly 9% of men have daily feelings of anxiety and depression. And only about 53% of African Americans that are experiencing um, some psychological distress or trauma seek out mental health professionals which honestly it's really hard to even get these statistics because in recent review of the evidence on black mental health it suggests that about five to ten percent of the population's number is off just because of the underdiagnosing that it does happen in our community so men what typically stressed you out? What gets you feeling down? According to the research, the risk factors for black men include money, finances, career, job opportunity outlook, sports, and injuries from said sports, and typically relationship family outlook can cause depressive symptoms. So let's dig a little deeper. Money and finances can really be a risk factor to those symptoms of depression because currently black men are working about 15% less hours than men that were working in 1970s. And this is fewer than Hispanic and non-Hispanic white counterparts currently. And in a study in 2015, it was noted that black men earn 31% less than white men. And this wage gap persists even when looking at those who are college educated. The earning gap between college educated black and white men is about 20% in 2014. Okay, I know it was 2014, but these numbers haven't necessarily changed and it's 2020. And it sucks because black men take these less hours and less pay because the opportunity to finding and keeping another job is slim. The lack of economic opportunity and inability to make ends meet because, you know, many of us are living paycheck to paycheck. This isn't even the black community. This is America in general. And with COVID-19 being, you know, a factor, a lot of us are filing for unemployment. But with our community especially, we don't have 
as many opportunities to go and get another job. And honestly, the inability to find a job has to deal with race. It is mainly because we are black. Black men not only have to live with negative racial experiences from those that are institutionalized, personal, or even internalized racism, black men aged 20 to 23 will have already experienced racial discrimination. And these experiences can be predictive factors in causing anxiety and depression up until the age of 32. Because let's be real, in this country, black people have been stripped of our humanity. This includes the right to experience human emotions. Historically, the enslaved were violently deterred from experiencing emotional distress or even mental health illnesses. It was kind of like, what is that? So as helping professionals, it's our duty to recognize that the dominant ideals of manhood that tell black men that they are not vulnerable is actually rooted in the white patriarchy and oppression. Making men, black men, swallow their pain is dehumanizing and contributes to depression. Many black men have fears of leaving their homes, and unfortunately, it's because of the reality that many of them, including our youth, will leave their home and not make it back. They are on constant high alert. They have to be self-aware and conscious of others due to the simple fact of their appearance. They look like a threat. But that again is another generalization of the black community. Some are built stockier, taller, and bigger than our white counterparts, but that is just a stereotype. There are black individuals out there that are skinnier or less of a threat by appearance. For that, many of the white counterparts do take those attributes and demonize them. And this conversation would go nowhere if we did not address this factor. A lot of black males don't get the benefit of the doubt due to race, shape, and built. Factors that are out of their control which I think is interesting because these same factors are used to promote and push them forward. Because another risk factor is sports. Well, it's a risk factor as well as a protective factor because sports can be beneficial in the sense that it offers another path to go down in life. It can give you education and scholarships as well as, you know, um, leadership skills and all these other great protective factors but sports can also be a risk factor to major depressive disorder because of injury and for those college-aged black individuals falling behind academically the pressure to succeed plus lack of resources can be a risk factor as well in an original investigation from Penn Nursing, they explored the risk and potential factors that can contribute to post-injury mental health symptoms in the urban black community. And it found that men with violent injuries as compared to non-violent injuries have more severe post-injury mental health symptoms. The research went on to say that the intersection of prior trauma and adversity prior to exposure to challenging neighborhood disadvantages and poorer pre-injury health and functioning should not be overlooked in the midst of acute injury care when assessing the risk for post-injury mental health symptoms. 
Because um, injury can lead to the use of substances, many are prescribed painkillers and with the onset of post-injury blues, one can lead to misuse. And lastly, looking at um, our family and support systems, the struggle for partnership with a significant other and building a strong family and friend support um, contributes to the symptoms of major depressive disorder. According to the United States Census Bureau, about 38% of black children in the United States are living in poverty, compared to like 20% of the U.S. white children. It's also noted that U.S. children are exposed to higher levels of violence, with the rates of victimization and exposure to violence for black children are exceedingly high. Black children are twice as likely to be sexually abused as white children. Now, these are stats that come from um, harming a black individual, like a black child, but it's not necessarily saying that these are happening in black homes. This just could be happening within the community, but it's hushed upon because in the black community, we tend to brush things under the rug. It is hard to be a leader in your family having struggles and having strong ties to the community, which brings me to faith and um, spirituality. Faith and spirituality can be a great protective factor against major depression disorder. Having ties to a church or a spiritual outlook helps protect against those feelings of depression. It helps us let us know that we have someone to speak to and that we're not alone. Which brings me to ways to combat major depressive disorder in our community. Now, because this is May and it is Mental Health Awareness Month, I'll be utilizing some of the resource materials sent to me by Mental Health of America. The toolkit offers some additional resources for finding positivity after loss, healthy routines, owning your feelings, eliminating toxic influences, connecting with and supporting others, and reaching out to mental health professionals. On this episode, we're, I'm just going to talk about owning your feelings and finding positivity. Stay tuned to other episodes as I give you these other tools to thrive. So for a little bit of self-help, you can start by owning your feelings. Um, I posted about owning your feelings and there's a little bullet points of quick tips of what you can do for owning your feelings, but I'm going to expand on some of those. So allowing yourself to feel. Sometimes societal pressures encourage people to shut down their emotions and often they, they express um, some kind of statements like, you know, big girls don't cry or to man up. But as we've stated during this podcast, that those, those ideals are extremely harmful and they don't help at all. Allowing yourself to feel is extremely important because when you ignore those feelings, you allow them to build and gain strength. And at some point, you're going to want to explode. It's kind of like when you shake up a soda and you go to release the top and it just explodes everywhere. You've bottled up all those emotions that once was something that could have been overlooked has now gained so much strength that one little poke or one little prod can cause it to go kaboom. A great way to start owning your feelings is building your emotional vocabulary. Did you know that the English language has about 3,000 words for emotions? It's noted in research that people who are good at 
identifying and labeling their emotions are less likely to binge drink, be physically aggressive, or even self-harm when distressed. And school-age children who are taught about emotions for at least 20 to 30 minutes per week improve their social behavior and school performance. Another self-help tip is journaling. Um, Writing down each night how you feel, make it something that isn't hard to do, so something that's obtainable, three or four feelings that you felt throughout your course of your day and what caused them. It doesn't need to be necessarily like, hey, dear diary, this is what happened to me, but just a few bullet points to practice being comfortable identifying and expressing those emotions. So once you've allowed yourself to feel and you've owned those feelings, a next step would be reframing those thoughts. Reframing is kind of just changing your perspective on the given situation to be a little bit more positive or beneficial to you. In the Black community, we can reclaim our humanity by recognizing that we have emotions and that these emotions are a part of being human. Racial inequalities wreaks havocs on our bodies and our minds, and it's kind of killing us, and many of us are ignoring it, but we need to build up the appropriate models to promote healthy and healing practices so we can be happier and be healthier as a community. An activity you can do for reframing your um, thoughts is to just basically remind yourself what you're thankful for. Try to make a list or once you're writing down those feelings that you've been feeling throughout the day, try to reconstruct the thought process. So let's say that, let's say you have a coworker that makes a comment about your built or your skin complexion and because you're a man, you feel that you shouldn't get sad over that that is an automatic negative thought the feelings that of should not get mad at that you're human so you have feelings and if the comment bothers you you can either address it to that co-worker or you can take that thought and say hey she said so so and so or he said so so and so it caused the automatic thought of maybe my skin tone is too dark or maybe i'm getting too fat or what have you gaining a couple pounds and that makes me feel less of a person. You can change that thought process and reframe it as, oh, my skin complexion is deeper. It is beautiful because of X, Y, and Z. And you work on those descriptive um, words to describe yourself in a beneficial or positive light to you. Before I end this podcast episode, I did wanna touch on finding positivity and loss. Just because COVID-19 is very much our reality and in our community we do rely so much on you know bonding with one another and it's really hard right now that people are passing away or we're losing jobs and we can't comfort one another due to social distancing of course i think that it's important in these times to understand that you're not alone nearly 60 percent of people have experienced a major loss in the last three years it's understandable that healing does take time. Following a loss, nearly half of the people take about six months to feel those feelings of grief lessen. I would say utilize this time to learn from others because like I said, you're not alone. And the community support is still there, but we just have to go through different avenues to receive it. 
because face-to-face is not necessarily an option, you have to kind of do some vetting to see what your options are. The internet is full of wonderful, qualified, and credentialed individuals that can talk about their shared experiences or reach out to you if you are in crisis. Look into virtual support groups because support groups can be beneficial in helping you share your story and helping you realize once again that you're not alone, that others go through exactly what you're going through and we're all going through tough times. It's hard to remind yourself that you can do it, but it's easy when you can see other people doing it too. If COVID-19 has rendered you with some kind of loss, I say find a way to honor that loss. Memorizing either the loved one or the memory that you have keeps them alive and it makes your heart feel happy. I hope you found this mental mini to be informative and helpful. Just remember that I am a guide to mental health and wellness, but not a replacement for seeking out professional help. Follow me on IG at my Black Mental Health PC and on Twitter at MBMHPC for the latest. Send me a DM or a message to let me know what you've learned and what you'd like to learn next. The more you know, the better you feel and heal. Cheers to happy healing.